chapter 28. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10. We've been in a sermon series about the words spoken not from the cross, but the words around the cross. Now we're going to enter a, a short series of messages on resurrection conversations or words spoken after the resurrection and uh, to see what others have said in regards to this. And we have that this morning as well. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. As far as the reading of God's word, I invite you to keep your scriptures open this morning as we focus on the events that are taking place here and the words that the angel spoke to the women. Let's again bow in prayer. Our gracious Father, we come again to this part of our service when we hear your word proclaimed. Father, we pray that your spirit would work amongst us. Father, that you would... Help us to be ever more transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, if there be any here this morning that do not know Christ as their Savior, we pray that your Spirit will work in their hearts as well, that they would be fertile soil for the seed of the gospel to grow. And Father, that your name would be brought glory and honor. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. Before we come to the words of Scripture here, I want you to think with me for just a few moments about other conversations that are taking place throughout Jerusalem on that first day of the week. Other conversations. The disciples, we know from other passages, have gathered themselves together. Perhaps not all are present maybe in small groups, but one wonders about those conversations. Has anyone heard from Judas? Where is he anyway? Ever since he left the upper room, we haven't heard a thing from him. He still has the money bag, doesn't he? They as of yet do not know that Judas has already committed suicide. And so there's probably some questions that the disciples are asking about where he is. 
Everybody else, they've probably accounted for, but not Judas. John, probably for the umpteenth time, is repeating that which happened at the crucifixion because he is the only disciple that shows up for a period of that time as far as the Gospels record to it. He's probably talking about the events that take place, seeing the other disciples were not there as eyewitnesses of those events. One would imagine that Peter is probably still quite discouraged, probably still pretty despondent, maybe not saying anything, but spending a lot of time looking at his feet. Pretty downcast, reflecting upon his denials and thinking about that look of Jesus. One wonders what Simon of Cyrene is thinking this first day of the week morning. Whether his sons who are mentioned in scripture are asking, Dad, where did you go? Why did those men make you carry that piece of wood? There's the women who are carrying on conversations probably about the naming of the various spices that are needed for a proper Jewish burial, the weighing out of those spices to the right amount. As we looked at this morning in our uh, sunrise service, there, there is obviously some discussion at least on the way to the tomb because scripture records the conversation, who's going to roll the stone away? A little piece of the puzzle that they had missed. They've got spices, the right amounts, but they forgot about the large stone. One wonders what Pilate and his wife are conversing about this first day of the week. Perhaps Pilate is getting reports that Things are pretty well settled in Jerusalem for a Passover. Things are quiet. Things went well outside of this whole Jesus incident. But other than that, today and the past several days have been relatively quiet. One wonders what Herod is doing. Now that Passover has ended, is Herod busy packing up his stuff to go to one of his other palaces? We know that the guard at the tomb is carrying on a conversation along with the religious leaders. Actually, that comes following the passage we just read in Matthew 28. Let me read it to you. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. So there was a conversation. The guards did tell. They told about an earthquake. They told about a bright light. They went into the city, told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did just as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. See, the guard that's there is not Roman soldiers. The guard that is there are temple soldiers. They're under the orders of the Sanhedrin. See, there's a conversation taking place, isn't it? 
quite different, quite distinct from the conversation we're about to look at at the tomb. But nonetheless, it's happening. What are we going to do? How are we going to solve this? So there's an exchange between the leaders as well. There's orders being sent out together for a quick council meeting. We've, we've got to do something. There's a decision about the sum of money. How much are we going to pay them? There are instructions given to the soldiers about exactly what they are to say. And one can well imagine that verse 15 is telling us the soldiers are going out throughout Jerusalem already spreading the falsehood of the lie. Meanwhile, there are a few folk on the way to the tomb. And there there is a conversation that takes place. You're looking for Jesus, aren't you? You're looking for the one who was crucified. You're looking for the one who, for the past several days, you've been agonizing about. You saw his execution. This first group, in particular, saw his burial. They saw the stone being placed in front of the tomb. You're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. And then come these words. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Let's think about those words, those words at the tomb this morning. First of all, they're short, they're brief, they're distinct. They carry volumes of meaning. The first phrase that is uttered is, he is not here. The stone is rolled away. See, as they come to the tomb, that is what they observe. See, they had been questioning who's going to roll it away. When they get there, we are told in Mark that they look up and the stone is rolled away. He is not here. See, the tomb is empty. The tomb stands open. This is an odd sight. This is not what they expected. But the angels are telling them, it's not just that the stone is moved so you can come in and anoint Jesus' body. Somebody beat you here. Somebody got here before you. They opened up the tomb. That could have been the disciples. They don't know. They are, they're not all conversing back and forth at this point in time. Maybe the women are going, wow, imagine that. I would never have thought the disciples would have thought of us. But maybe they did. Maybe a couple of them ran out and they moved this heavy stone and put that peg in. The only thing is that in one of the gospel accounts we are told in such a way that the stone is not just rolled away as if it were rolled up its track and the peg put in place, but that the stone has literally been picked up and moved. This huge stone 
It's not just a human effort of having it moved so they can put in another body or they can go in and anoint Jesus' body. It has been picked up and moved. It is set aside. The tomb is open and there is no body. Come, see the place where he lay. He's not here. He's gone. As I mentioned earlier, the women know that Joseph of Arimathea put Jesus' body in that tomb. They watched it. We are told that in the Gospels. He came, took the body, wrapped it in a linen shroud. He and Nicodemus put spices into that. Put him in the, uh, in the ledge inside of this new tomb. Joseph of Arimathea, we are told, himself put the stone, let the stone roll down its track, put it and sealed the tomb. It's only later that we hear about the chief priests going to Pilate and saying, hey, we, you know, we need this thing secured and so on. We'll come back to that in a minute. But the women saw the stone get there. They know Jesus' body is inside. But these men are saying, he is not here. He is not here. The question is, but if he's not there, then where? Where is he? Because you see, that has a lot of answers, doesn't it? Where is Jesus' body? Well, if we're going to go listen to the Jews... If we're going to go listen to the temple guard, if we're going to listen to the religious leaders, where is Jesus' body? What is the answer to the question? He is not here, but where? They would say the disciples came, stole the body away. And that body, that corpse of Jesus is somewhere probably in Nazareth. That's probably where they took it back. After all, that's where he was from. Galilee, and now they're spreading, going to go out and spread a lie about this. But where? He is not here. See, put yourself in the, in the place of these women who are standing there at the tomb. Here is the announcement. He is not here. Okay, we can see that. We can see the tomb is open, the stone is rolled away. We can see, yep. That that was the spot where Joseph put Jesus' body. And there is nothing there. He is not here. Where could he be? The Romans take him? Did Joseph and Nicodemus have second thoughts about this? Did the Sanhedrin get a hold of him, drill him a little bit, and say, what are you doing associating with this Jesus? Now, if you want to keep your position in the Sanhedrin, go get Jesus' body, get it out of that tomb, and throw it in the valley of Gehenna. Where? He is not here. But then where? He is risen. That's where he is. He is risen. A resurrection has occurred. The the way that 
that verbiage is used. It means at a one point in time, it happened, it occurred, it has taken place. Now, there, there are a lot of places where you could be gathered today and they would, they would be talking about this resurrection in a, in a whole different light. They, they would be talking about this resurrection as sort of some symbolic act that has taken place. There isn't actually a resurrection. It's just a symbolic act that talks about some sort of an idea of new life. A new life that kind of just kind of keeps occurring and occurring. So this idea of Easter, just it, it's, it's new, it's fresh, it's happening all the time. Now the point of the text is, no, it doesn't happen all the time. It happened once. He is risen. At a point in time in the history of this world, on a specific date, in a specific month, in a specific year, at a specific time of day, the dead body of Jesus Christ rose from the dead. This is not about some general thought. This is about a specific act that has occurred in history. A specific act of a bodily resurrection that Jesus' dead corpse that was in that tomb for three days and for three nights has come back to life. Not just his spirit, not his soul, not, not his purpose now that lives on in us, Not a resurrection of his teachings that we shouldn't just bury away, but we should live out all of our days showing love to our neighbor, love to God. No, what the angel says, he is not here because he is risen. His body, as dead as it was on the cross, is alive. A bodily resurrection. You and I confess in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the resurrection of the body. When, when that question is asked in the catechism, the answer is given... Not only my soul will be taken immediately after this life to Christ, it said, but even my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. Now, why is that our comfort? Because Christ's body rose from the dead. See, he is not dead. He is alive. This, it could well be said, 
is the most important statement in all of Scripture. I said, that's saying quite a bit. There, there's a lot of text. Yes, there are. But this statement, he has risen. Say, can you back that up? I certainly can. Because Paul told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile. If we end at the cross, our faith is futile. As important, as significant as that atonement is, as important as the death of Jesus Christ on that cross is, as necessary as the blood of Christ flowing from his body is. Paul says that our faith without the resurrection is futile. It is this, you see, that proves the value of the cross. It is this that proves the value of Christ's work. It is this that authenticates with God's stamp of approval. Well done, good and faithful servant. Without the resurrection, without he has risen. Our faith is empty. It is useless to have a dead Jesus. That's why in Protestant churches we have no crucifixes. We have no Christ upon the cross. Because there is only emptiness, futility. It is because of an empty tomb that faith in Jesus Christ is essential. He is not here. He is risen. As he said. Some versions use the expression just as he said. Or exactly as he said. Or just as he has spoken. They all get to the same idea. The same idea is this. He is not here. He has risen. He has risen because that's what he told you was going to happen. That is what he told you was going to take place. He said this. This is not an afterthought. This is all part of the plan. This is all part of the purpose. Let's go through Matthew. Okay, seeing we're in Matthew, and, and that's where, just as he said. Well, where did he say it? Where has Jesus said that he would rise again from the dead? Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. 
Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be at verse 38. It's where we're going to start. Matthew 12, 38. Keep that expression. Just as he said in the back of your mind. Just as he said. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he has said. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Natural question. What's the sign of the prophet Jonah? Answer. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be there, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What happened to Jonah after three days and three nights in the belly of the fish? The fish gave him up. Just as he said. Where are we? It's like the angel saying to these women, count, count, how long has this been? Well, by our Jewish understanding of time, it's been, let's count. Three days and three nights. Just as he said, he's not here. He's risen. Just as he said. This is exactly the time when he told you he would not be here. Let's go to a second passage. A little forward into Matthew chapter 16. Just as he said. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be what? Raised. Just as he said. He's not here. Why did you come here looking for a dead body? Why did you come here looking for a corpse? Why did you come here thinking about how you were going to move the stone? Why did you come here with all of those spices? He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Let's go to Matthew chapter 17. Be at verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. Just as he said. Nothing new here, the angel is saying. This is what was prophesied. This is what he himself said was going to happen. He's not here. He has risen. 
battle. His corpse is back to life. Just as he said. What's interesting is that even, even the enemies get it. They even understand it. They even understand it because if you go back to Matthew chapter 27, listen to what happens when they set the guard at the tomb. Matthew 27 verse 62. So this is in between the death and the first day of the week. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how this imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Even his enemies get it. They're concerned about the tomb. Go on. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers? Go, make it secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. You see, they even know. They even heard it. It's not just from the lips of some some. Believers, we would say. Oh yes, yes, Jesus said those things. See how nicely this fits? Even the enemies have heard Jesus and they are concerned over the words spoken. He told them, on the third day, I will rise again. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said. See, this resurrection is such the core of our faith because it is this resurrection that demonstrates to us not only the approval of the Father of that which Jesus did on the cross, therefore salvation is secure. But this resurrection authenticates all the words of Jesus. If you can testify and say, I'm going to be killed and on the third day I'm going to rise again. And then on the third day you rise. That pretty much authenticates whatever it is you have to say. Whatever statement you have made now becomes truth. Undisputed truth, even as his resurrection bodily from the dead is undisputed. Everything that Jesus has said is just as he said. Just say that phrase, just as he said, just say it out loud. Everything that Jesus said is what? So let me take you through the Gospel of John. And I want you to hear some of the things that Jesus has said. 
For some of you this morning, these words will come as tremendous comfort. They will come as a tremendous blessing. And to hear just as he said, you're, oh, yes, yes, yes. For the others of you here this morning, you're not sure. You're pondering it. You're thinking about it. You're reflecting upon it. Even now, your mind is perhaps at work going, hmm, Pastor Bob just made a good point. If Jesus said he was going to rise and then he rises from the dead, that authenticates his word. Maybe I have to take more seriously the rest of what Jesus has said in his word. And we would pray as a congregation, we would pray that even as our brother reminded us in, in his prayer after the scripture, that right now the Holy Spirit would grab hold of the question and turn it from a question to a statement. That it's not a question whether or not that which Jesus said is true, but it is indeed true, and you believe it. I can't convince you of that. Your family friends can't convince you of that. But the Holy Spirit can convict you of that. And that's what our prayer is. But sadly, this is the realization of the Word of God. It always accomplishes its purpose. For some, it brings about conviction. For others, it brings about coldness. These words may be the last time you hear Jesus speak. And you don't care. It's not going to make any difference to you at all. It's not going to change one thing about your life when you walk out of here. Pray that that wouldn't be true. But sadly, we know that that happens. That God's word not only has the power to convict, but God's word hardens as well. So my friends, as we go through this, I'm going to read the passage. I'm going to read the statement. When I'm done, I'm going to say, it is. And when you hear these words, and you hear me say, it is. If you hear the, these words, and you know these words are true, and you are convicted of that truth, you're as convicted of that truth as you are of the resurrection of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that you're here celebrating today. Then respond. Respond just as he said. Maybe not so quietly as we normally do in our Dutchness. Maybe with, a, with some conviction. Just as he said. For if this day has a purpose for us to continually mark upon our calendars, then one of those purposes is to be assured of the truth of Christ's words.
Here is the first. John 3, verse 3. Unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. It is. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It is. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. It is. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It is. John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It is. And then this. Here's the glorious hope of the resurrection. In one verse, our faith, signed, sealed, delivered. Our redemption, signed, sealed, delivered. Our atonement, signed, sealed, delivered. Our forgiveness, signed, sealed, delivered. Our eternity, signed, sealed, and delivered. These are the words of the risen Christ who had said it before, just as he said. These are his words to you in the light of the fact that he lives and rules and reigns today. John chapter 14, verse 3. I will come again to take you to myself. It is. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for the glorious truth of the message of the resurrection in this physical act of Christ's corpse coming to life. And that this risen Christ is our Lord and Savior. And as his word has been authenticated as true, so too is all that he has spoken. For it is just as he said. In Christ's glorious name, God's people say,